Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. We're also brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here as always with Jason Pat. And Jason, we got a new Bulls GM to talk about. That's Mark Eversley. To help us discuss him, we have on friend of the program, great writer covering the Philadelphia 76ers. I worked with him for a while at SB Nation. He's been killing it uh, all over the place since then. That's Kyle Newbeck. Kyle, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm hanging in like anybody else. It's good to finally get on a podcast who whose name I have certainly admired. I think you guys did an excellent <laughs> job of that. I can't speak to the uh, the quality of the host, though. I suppose. Well, you got a pretty good name for your podcast too. Kyle hosts a 76ers podcast on Blue Wire called The New Slant. He does that with the homie Seamus Clancy. Really good Sixers follows both of them. Kyle's also a reporter for the Philly Voice covering the Sixers. Did I see you writing some uh, Eagles NFL draft content too this week, Kyle? Yeah, actually, when I took this job at Philly Voice, the original idea was that I was going to split time 50-50 between Eagles and Sixers stuff, partially because, you know, football is king in Philadelphia and pretty much everywhere else. Uh, But since the basketball stuff took off to a degree, I only really pitch in there on game days and, you know, the odd big event. And since there's no NBA playoffs right now, I figured why not dip my toes back into NFL draft coverage, I suppose. Cool. So uh, we got you on to talk about Mark Eversley. Um, it seems like, so here's what we know about Eversley, I guess, right off the bat. He came to the Sixers with Brian Colangelo. He arrived at the Sixers right before they took or they won the lottery to give them Ben Simmons. Uh, He was there. He bounced around to the Wizards, back to the Sixers. Even after Colangelo was gone, he was in that front office with Elton Brand. So I guess as a Sixers guy, what have been your impressions of what Eversley's role was with Sixers? His title was, I think, Senior Vice President of Player Personnel. And then, uh, you know, what did you hear about the guy in terms of his reputation? And do you have any interactions with him covering the team? Yeah. So as far as the title goes, I believe a lot of those guys got new titles last offseason, I want to say, between him, Alex Rucker and Ned Cohen. I think there were a bunch of bunch of shifting around, basically guys getting more money. So it, that sort of... Uh, it obscured what they all do to a certain degree. What I can tell you is that Mark Eversley, I know, was pretty heavily involved on the scouting side of things. I know, especially during Elton Brand's first year in charge as the GM of the team, that Eversley was tasked with going on 
you know, more scouting trips and, and more trips generally than maybe he would in an average year. I think they would but like this year before everything got shut down, that was more evenly distributed. But I think Mark, uh, the prior season took on more of that role. I know there are people that have given him credit for, he was on Matisse Thibel ahead of maybe some other people. I believe he was being tracked uh, by Mark during his junior season. Uh, and then the other one that I think a lot of Bulls fans might have retweeted a tweet I had about this from a few years ago. Brian Colangelo, when he was giving their explanation for drafting Markel Fultz a few years ago, said that Eversley saw him during some high school showcase games and he said, quote, that guy, he's the one. So, you know, that he's got some hits, he's got some misses, some more consequential than the others. But uh, my general impression of him, I, I would say I've talked to him less than maybe some of the other guys, but always was like a, a nice approachable guy. Nice and approachable doesn't always mean that you're a, uh, a good sports executive, but I, I certainly don't have anything negative to say about him from the time we've spent together. I feel like the Fultz thing, I mean, that's just like, it's just a weird situation. Like most people thought that Fultz was going to be the guy. Ricky, yeah. Ricky, did you have him number one? Oh, I loved board? Fultz. I was a big Fultz yeah. guy. I watched yeah, him in so high like, school when he was on DeMatha and they played a showcase in Chicago. I saw him at USA basketball camp. I saw him all over and was totally convinced that he was going to be awesome. And of course, Kyle has done more reporting on the Fultz saga in Philadelphia than pretty much anyone He's done a lot of original reporting on that and really broken down that story. So if you want more context on what happened to Markel Fultz in Philadelphia, go back and Google Kyle's work uh, because he's done some outstanding coverage of that. But you can continue, Jason. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like it's hard to totally hold the Fultz thing against him, given just the uniqueness of that situation. As Ricky said, Kyle's done a ton of great work on that. If you don't know the Fultz background, obviously with the, the shoulder stuff and all that, like I don't want to put too much of that on Eversley. Uh, yeah, that was actually one of the things I was going to ask about, like how involved he was with the draft you mentioned Matisse Thibel. Everyone's been like every place I've read is like they brought him up as like a huge win. Like recent other Sixers drafts haven't been as great. Was, was it a couple years ago? Was it Shake Milton? I know the Sixers have had just weird luck in general with some of these draft picks lately. So was he a, a big time guy involved with the draft? It kind of sounds like that. Yeah, I think he was decently involved. And you know, if, if we are saying that that's what his role was, which that's from my impression of it, they, they let, again, they like to obscure all this, but from my understanding, he spent a lot of, a lot of time on the ground, a lot of time scouting and helping out in that regard. They do have a decent amount of like later round or late first, maybe second round steals that they've gotten like uh shake Milton, who you already named. I think Landry Shamit, who they ended up trading True. in the yeah. Tobias Harris trade. That's a good, and maybe like, I don't know who to give credit for these guys specifically, but they've had success with these players to come in that are like four year college type players that they're looking for those type of guys, but they're they're They have found the right type of those guys, right? Like they're not four year college guys that, that don't translate or are in college for four years because they they can't hack it athletically or skill wise in the league. Like these are guys that have been able to come in and contribute right away. So uh, that's something that I think is a credit to this front office. So I think that reflects well on Eversley. And to circle back on the Markel thing, I can't sit here and act like I wasn't uh, yeah. like a big Markel booster coming out of college. And I know to shift the the blame off of Mark, there were other members of that front office. 
ahead of the draft that were like super gung ho about Markel, even before they were able to trade up and be in position where they're going to take him. Cause I think people forget that now that was celebrated as a massive win for them when they were able to move into that spot to begin with. So, you know, hindsight being 2020, obviously that's a, it's a tough pick, but, but I, I think generally draft wise, they've done okay over the last few years. So someone left a comment on Bloggable, and I'm just going to read this out loud to you because I don't know exactly okay. how. I'm a little uh, worried now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we love the commenting community at SB Nation, but uh, I'll just read a snippet of it to you okay. because this caught my eye. It said, the Fultz trade was all Eversley, so he lost two first-round picks, Fultz in 2017, and then Romeo Langford in 2019 became the other pick in that trade. He also drafted Furkan Korkmaz and former Bulls legend Timofey Luluau at 24 and 26 in 2016 when uh, Pascal Siakam went 27, DeJounte Murray went 29, and Brogdon went 36. Uh, In 2017, after the Folds trade, he drafted, I can't even pronounce this guy's name, but Anzis Pesechniks, I believe. Yeah. at 25 when Kyle Kuzma, Derek White were taken at 27 and 29. Uh, so, I mean, even this comment, like, you know, it says, you know, no animosity towards Eversley. Obviously, it's not always uh, one guy, but just like, you know, there were some hits and misses, I guess, for sure, on the draft resume of Hinky too. I mean, Hinky took yeah. Okafor number three overall. So on, on, on everyone, I mean, that's just going to go for probably anyone who has their name attached to scouting and has their name attached to the draft. But uh, just sort of some thoughts on how Philadelphia's drafting was under Colangelo. Uh, you know, you, Simmons was sort of a no-brainer. I guess maybe there was some dissent on Brandon Ingram at the time, but... I feel like Simmons was the guy all along in a lot of different ways. Uh, so just curious what you think of the franchise's drafting uh, since Eversley came aboard. Well, it's been kind of all over the place. I think that's fair to say. And, you know, you bring up Colangelo's name. I know that he talked with uh, Chicago at some point during this process, or at least it was reported that that was the case. And, you know, the up and down nature of their drafting is very reflective of Colangelo's history right like he he, he's gotten all these guys these steals like a Sean Marion type guy he's one executive of the year I believe he won it twice throughout his career maybe once in Phoenix once in uh, Toronto and so some of those ups and downs you saw in Philadelphia so I like I would be I would think that a lot of that is reflective of Colangelo and how he was steering the ship and you know, even with like the the Landry Shamit fine, the Matisse Thybul fine, those those are after Colangelo's out of there, and that's with the one off season they have Brett Brown, the head coach, as the head of the snake, so to speak, and then Elton Brand, a, a rookie GM in the Thybul draft. So, you know, I think in terms of just evaluations, they've done okay. I I think where I would maybe question what they've done is the types of players and how they fit around the guys they already have. Like they haven't seemed to show an understanding maybe of who needs to be next to a Ben Simmons and who next needs to be next to Joel Embiid and especially both at the same time. And that to me is more a job of like the leader of the program. And the other complicating factor in Philadelphia is that, you know, ownership is heavily involved. Obviously, from team to team that that wilds that 
swings wildly back and forth between one end of the spectrum to another. You guys can speak to bulls ownership a lot better (laughs) than I can, but I I think that Josh Harris's involvement and the ownership group's involvement can't be underplayed here. So a long way of saying this with all the power structure changes that have gone on, I find it hard to pin blame on someone like Eversley, who's like more in a pure uh, eval role than he is like a team building type situation. That seems fair. And I'm glad you brought up Brian Colangelo. I was going to ask about him next, but first let's take a quick break and a word from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker to blackjack, they're bringing Las Vegas straight to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, you can bet on Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All of it is open 24 hours a day. It's all online. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to bluechew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Since they're chewable, they work even faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. BlueChew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE and you just pay $5 shipping. So again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, we are back. Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We have Kyle Newbeck here talking about Mark Eversley. And I teased before the break here about the uh, talking about Brian Colangelo. Uh, obviously, Brian he, Eversley has a lot of experience with Brian Colangelo. Colangelo basically hired him away from Nike with the Raptors in 2006. They spent about as much time together there. We've already talked about some of their their stint together in Philadelphia. I guess like a lot, Brian Colangelo is basically a laughing stock at this point because of the Twitter burner scandal and all that. We know Eversley stayed there after Colangelo was let go in 2018. But with with all the experience they have together, like should there be any cause of concern for like him Eversley having like Brian Colangelo stink on him or anything like that. Because I know, again, you mentioned that the Bulls did bring him in. The Bulls brought in Colangelo and people, everyone laughed at it when they were doing the, the initial interviews for uh, for Arturis Karnaschova's position. And it, it seemed like that they were pro- they probably brought him in to maybe get information on Mark Eversley. Probably, I can't imagine Brian Colangelo was actually a serious candidate to run the Bulls. So like, do you, would, would you worry about that at all, having the Brian Colangelo, like the, the major ties there with Mark Eversley? No, I don't think so. I mean, certainly with the way that Brian Colangelo went out in uh, like universal disgrace, that's something that I think <laughs> is fair to to worry about but no i i don't think it's a situation where he's like beholden to brian colangelo in a way that is going to impact his ability to do his job now i guess the 
devil's advocate, as you might say, okay, if he was somebody that Colangelo trusted in that way to have him around for that long, that maybe that says something about his own abilities and maybe you worry that they they see things uh, too closely. But I don't think that that would be a concern. I think that uh, at least my impression is that all those guys in that front office at the time had their own ideas and things they're uh, bringing to the table. So I think like to me, I, I would feel a little patronizing if I was like, yeah, you know, he was, he touched Ryan Colangelo. So Mark <laughs> Eversley is doomed to have a bad career. Uh, you know, one thing that crossed my mind while I was reading up about Eversley and his background uh, coming from like the Nike side of things. I mean, this guy started in retail and like, what is it? 10, 15 years later, he's an NBA GM, just a crazy rise through the business, taking a different path than a lot of other people take. Uh, Darnell Mayberry's column in the athletic mentioned him like going to the EYBL, which is the Nike AAU circuit. Uh, I've covered that event live before, uh, those events. And I know that there's like a ton of people trying to get close to kids, uh, at a very young age. And obviously basketball is even a big business when, you know, you're 16, 17 years old through these big AAU circuits. So the quote that hit my mind, I don't have it exactly in front of me. I can't find it. But Karnashov has said something to the effect of, I don't want to hire people in the front office that have the same skill set that I have. I want to try to fill our blind spots and bring new perspectives into the front office. So I think Eversley does that in a couple ways. Obviously, he's the first African-American GM in Bulls history. Uh, you know, the Bulls have not had much diversity in their front office. So being able to hire an uh, African-American GM is awesome. I don't even know if I should use the phrase African-American, actually, because he's Canadian, which is the other thing I was just going to mention. Uh, he's the first, you know, Canadian front office executive with the Bulls. So that's pretty cool, too. Uh, but it seems like his strength, maybe more so than scouting, even though we've talked so much about the scouting already, is in like the player relationship side. And for the Bulls, that would be huge because their last GM, Gar Foreman, he had the charisma of <laughs> like a lamp, basically, like some sort of inanimate <laughs> object. And when people met Gar Foreman, they tended to hate him. That was like one of his defining qualities. So having someone who could actually get along with players and who could sort of make the Bulls look cool and chill among the rest of the league would be awesome for the Bulls. So my question for Kyle is like, you know, we've talked so much about like the scouting and the evaluation part of Eversley, but what do you think he could potentially bring to the Bulls from a player relationship standpoint? And how important do you think that stuff like that is uh, in terms of, you know, keeping your own team happy, courting free agents, signing free agents? Just curious what you think of all that. Well, so to circle back to the Nike thing, I, I think one thing when you're covering the league day to day for, you know, period of years or however long it is, you, you learn how closely intermingled you know, the business of basketball and the sport itself are like guys have handlers and managers and agents, and they're all these people fighting for their time and attention. And I think like that, that world of like Nike and Adidas and Under Armour and these big retailers, there's like a totally different side of the business. And so working in that part of the industry, you certainly have connections that maybe someone who's a, a basketball lifer doesn't. Now, certainly the basketball lifer types try to get involved on that side of it and make those connections so that 
they don't have their own blind spots, but, but it helps. It helps to know people that, you know, not strictly speaking legal in terms of CBA stuff, but you can maneuver around the margins a little bit. You can put out feelers through different people. It's, it always helps. It's a relationships business. And the more relationships you have through as many different venues as you can find them, that certainly helps. And then to your point about him being the first I guess we can't call him an African American GM if he's Canadian, but to have yeah, like a, a mistake, <laughs> but to have a, a black GM in a league where most of the players are black, like I, I think people don't really think about how insane that is, like how few black GMs and how few former players or at least recent former players get get chances to be GMs, and like those guys can relate to a black player in a way that like, if I was the GM of a team, like I don't have the same life experience that they do. And that's something that they can share regardless of, of how they connect through basketball means. And so, yeah, I could certainly see that being to Chicago's benefit to Mark's benefit. I, I think at the end of the day though, it's going to come down to number one, his ability to evaluate talent and number two, his ability to, you know, connect with people and build those relationships. And and as I said earlier, I think Mark is a, has come off to me as a pretty affable guy who I think he'll, he'll do just fine on that front. Yeah. I think, I, I think it was Casey Johnson, maybe sports guy. It was one, one of the Bulls guys mentioned that he has a, uh, DeMar DeRozan is one guy that is mentioned. And I think Embiid was actually brought up. Have you noticed any like really close relationship there with Eversley and Joel Embiid? So Joel likes to, uh, as much as he seems like an extrovert, he likes to keep to himself. So as far as relationships with the front office go, he is he keeps them close to the vest. I do know that he much prefers Elton Brand to Brian Colangelo, as he has said in public uh, several different times. I know Elton has done a lot to sort of reach out to him and, and strengthen that bond with the team's best player. And, and even if Mark doesn't have, you know, a great relationship with somebody like Joel, I think he sees the example that brand is setting there. And and certainly that's something that he can take with him to Chicago. It's definitely good to hear at least. And, and to kind of to that point about brand and then just like the black GM was like the bulls got kind of ripped for like not interviewing any like minority candidates for uh, executive VP and which went to Karnashovas, but then it basically came out that like their entire list of guys was like Michael Finley, obviously uh, Eversley got hired here. So, and I think, I think also Kevin Durant like tweeted out that they should have like more, more like former players in the front office. So I think that just kind of speaks to your point about how getting those guys to maybe t- to relate better to these players because as Ricky said, like Gar Foreman was not, <laughs> not well liked around the league it seems like i know jimmy butler and we're gonna ask about jimmy later his like after jimmy got traded he uh his agent or his trainer like tweeted out how gar Foreman was a snake for, <laughs> for everything that happened there so like uh yeah i think going from gar Foreman to eversley here in terms of the player relationship stuff is going to be uh it seems like a huge upgrade at least uh, let's move on a bit to the at least uh to the coaching side of this because now since the bulls do have arturis karnashovas uh, and then they have they have Eversley now. Now that they make a decision on Jim Boylan, first from, coming from the outside, coming from Philly, what is your uh, opinion or your just kind of what you've seen from Jim Boylan? And then second, J- uh, Darnell Mayberry Athletic today brought up a couple candidates. If they do replace him, Darnell does think that Boylan will get fired. He said 100% in chat today. He brought up Adrian Griffin, popular name, because Karnashovas played with Adrian Griffin at, at Seton Hall. He's with the Raptors. 
He was an assistant for the Bulls before under Tom Thibodeau. And then he also brought up a Philadelphia assistant. I'm going to screw his name up again. It's either Ime Udoka or Ime Udoka. You told me before, and I already forgot. Ime, I believe. Ime, Ime Udoka. So, yes, first of all, your take on Jim Boylan. And then what would, if, would Ime Udoka be a good hire? What what have you seen from him him in Philly? So I will say on the Jim Boylan front, I, I was actually a little bit optimistic about him coming into the year because it seemed like he was changing his stripes a little bit, but it seems to be same old Jimmy Boylan this season <laughs> in terms of approach and, you know, calling timeouts in games where there's like no time left and the game's out of hand. That sort of stuff would drive me crazy if I was covering the team. So I, <laughs> God bless you guys. Um, as far as email goes, we don't get a ton of FaceTime with the assistants other than in the off season and maybe like hanging out at a practice. But most of the time they, they get out of there. I know that he, how Brett Brown sets up his coaching staff is each of the guys has a discrete role. And so he treats it more like an NFL team. And Yudoka was in charge of the defense coming into this year. He's like the defensive coordinator. That's one of the few things that the Sixers did do relatively well. Obviously, that should be their strength given the the talent that they have. But yeah, I mean, same sort of deal here. Where uh, every time I've spoken to him, he's a he's a nice enough, approachable guy. Obviously, he was part of a, a staff in San Antonio that tends to produce a lot of head coaches and good head coaches at that. He's been candidate for a few different jobs. So I, I think when he took this job in Philadelphia it was known that this is like the the last next step before maybe he gets a head coaching job. So I would not be surprised if, if he ends up getting that job in Chicago. Yeah. I saw that he's, uh, I think one of the highest paid assistants in the league. I think this, I this Darnell so, Mayberry yeah. article said. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that it seems like he's certainly at least on his way to possibly being a head coach. Uh, as you mentioned, he's from Brett Brown is from the Greg Popovich coaching trace. So obviously, Udoka is there as well. He played for Popovich, coached there as well. So, I mean, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say you can't go wrong with somebody from that, but that, that's at least a good background to start. So, that's good. Uh, as we finish up here, I, I mentioned Jimmy Butler before. Since Jimmy did play, had a very short stint with the Sixers. It was obviously pretty eventful. There was drama there. We know about Jimmy jar- drama. The Sixers came close Came a few bounces away from going to overtime and possibly going to the Eastern Conference Finals with Jimmy kind of leading the way as the top scorer in, the, in that playoff series in the playoffs last year. I guess just what did – do you have any good Jimmy Butler stories? What did you make of covering Jimmy Butler? Because obviously he's a very colorful character, let's just say the least. Do I have some Jimmy Butler stories? Of course I do. Uh, <laughs> when people ask me about him, what I tend to say is that he reminds me of like when you go off to college as a, a – teenage freshman and you meet someone that maybe isn't your roommate but it's like kind of a party partier type and you have a lot of fun with them when you're only seeing them like once a week maybe twice a week on Fridays and Saturdays and you think to yourself like man it'd be really fun to live with this guy this is he's like the life of the party and then you decide to live together during your sophomore year and you come to find out that he just never turns off and that switch is always flipped on. And over time, it just drives you insane. That to me is the Jimmy Butler experience. And I don't mean that in a way where he's like a bad dude. I think that part has probably been exaggerated a little bit, but there's no there's no off switch with him. He's constantly busting balls. He's constantly in your face. And like, you know, some people are going to react to that 
better than others. And so I, I, I understand why he wears out his welcome. I certainly think that he's a, a terrific basketball player. The one story, and this is not even necessarily, this is not Jimmy's fault at all, but he comes over to, we're having a media scrum after practice one day. And he decides he's going to have country music to, as the background oh, yeah. soundtrack to his uh, his media interview. And the way he does that is he just has his phone in his pocket with the volume all the way up, playing really loudly as people are trying to ask him questions. And another a TV reporter in Philadelphia, I was the closest person to Butler in the scrum. He's tapping me on the shoulder because he thinks it's the the white guy's fault that country music is playing. And he's like, <laughs> bro, your phone's going off. Turn that off. And I turn around. I was like, what are you talking about? Dude? He goes, your phone, the music. And I was like, hey, so I had to bring it to Jimmy's attention. He goes, well, you don't like my fucking music? To this <laughs> and said it with like a dead ass serious face on. So that like, but that's Jimmy. He, and he like didn't mean any harm by it. He like laughed about it a little bit after the initial, uh, you know, mini confrontation, but, but that's who he is. He's going to say how he feels. He's going to say it straight. He's not going to, he won't dress it up for you. If he feels you ask a, a dumb question, a smart question, he will let you know either way. But yeah, he's uh, the one thing that I didn't appreciate is him constantly saying to tell you the truth, because that was almost always followed by a lie. So that was Jimmy Butler's, <laughs> that was Jimmy Butler's biggest tell is to tell you the truth. I didn't even know that. And I guarantee you he knew it every time. So, <laughs> I uh, I enjoyed covering Jimmy Butler. I think that they would be a better basketball team, almost certainly, if they had kept Jimmy Butler. But, you know, you never know how those things end with him. So I, I wish him all the best in Miami. Uh, I just got one more for you. I'm just curious, you know, we're talking about Eversley with player relationships. Potentially that chosen free agency, the Sixers, had a very eventful free agency last offseason, uh, locking up Tobias Harris with a max deal, uh, bringing in Horford. Obviously, that sort of blew up in their face because the Sixers were a team a lot of people, including myself, picked to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals this year. While we don't know how the season will ultimately play out or if it will play out, uh, the Sixers were probably the biggest disappointment in the league, I think, in terms of their performance in the regular season versus preseason expectations. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are on Philadelphia's uh, current state on the free agent decisions they made a year ago uh, and on where you think Philadelphia could go moving forward. I, I got to tell you, they could go pretty much anywhere from here. I, I think the first thing that jumps out is that the person who's hurt the most by this whole stoppage is Brett Brown, because I think the only thing that's going to save him from getting kicked out the door this summer or later this year, depending on how everything shakes out, is a deep playoff. Run. And so if the playoffs don't happen, if the season doesn't resume, I think that's the thing that they point to and say, we can change that and maybe still make this roster work. Now, the the concern I have is that, you know, if this front office group led by Elton Brand, but flanked by the guys that are the holdovers from the Colangelo era, if they're still in charge to to fix what's wrong, which is a team that, that doesn't fit together, that has two guys that should be playing center and you know, maybe a point guard that should be playing more time at forward with more of a, a guard next to him in Ben Simmons. 
I don't know how you can trust the group that signed Al Horford to that big contract and gave all that money to Tobias Harris, who's a, a nice, if overplayed player right now. How can you charge them with, I guess, pulling them out of this? I, I think that their their deficiencies are are fairly obvious. I don't think it's an easy team to build, given that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons need sort of different things from the, the pieces around them and the, their styles uh, clash all the time, especially if Ben decides he's still not going to shoot threes for the rest of his career. But yeah, I, I don't envy them. I don't think that this team was looking at a, a deep playoff run. I think it was probably going to be maybe another second round exit. And that certainly would have rubbed everyone in Philadelphia the wrong way. But unless they start getting some more complimentary shooting scoring depth and, and you know just some guys who can dribble the basketball which as it turns out pretty important skill <laughs> in, in the modern yeah. nba i i think they're going to be stuck in neutral for a bit here so it could be an off season filled with with change again if they're serious about change i think my concern would be that they look at the roster and say you know we didn't get to see how things were going to look in a normal season with a a playoff run that we felt we were suited for. And if they run it back again next year, then you're in a situation where you're pretty stuck with this core because nobody's taken Al Horford after two straight years of decline. What percentage would you put it for a possible Embiid or Simmons trade? Right now, I think it's very low. Like I'd say it's 5% or less, I think. But let's say they flame out. Like if the season comes back, which that's a big if at this point, and they flame out early. I think you go another season with those two as the the pillars of the franchise. And then if, if there's not some sort of noticeable leap forward, then you have to start questioning, okay, we know these guys are super talented and we're not going to be able to get uh, 100% of the value back if we trade one of them. But can we build a, a more realistic contending team around one guy with what we can get yeah. for that value. So I, I think that's that's still at least, to me anyway, another year in the making. But at the same time, you only get value when you trade too early instead of too late in most cases. So that, I guess that's a situation to monitor pretty much permanently here in Philadelphia. Yeah. Hey, Ben Simmons says he's going to shoot threes now, according to that uh, Jackie Mack article. So... We'll see if that happens. No, and I, I'm going to say that I date supermodels now. So we'll, we'll see if that happens too. Uh, Ricky, you got anything else? We good here. Good for me. Nice. Kyle, let everybody know again where we can all find your stuff. All right. You guys can find me on Twitter at Kyle Newbeck, N-E-U-B-E-C-K. From there, I, I write pretty much every day at phillyvoice.com we have other great sports writers there including our eagles beat jimmy kemsky and on the blue wire network i am the co-host of the new slant podcast where myself and seamus clancy talk all things sixers so any of those places you can find me i'd be happy to have you awesome thanks so much for coming on man thanks for having me guys Absolutely. And uh, for us here at Cash Considerations, Jason and Ricky, as always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. Uh, wherever you listen to your pods, rate and review us. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all those places. Shout out to our sponsors, Bet Online and Blue Chew. Uh, coming up, we obviously got episodes five and six of The Last Dance coming up on Sunday night. I believe it's going to be some 
Dream Team stuff, some stuff about the MJ the business of Michael Jordan. So that should be a lot of fun again, as these previous episodes have been. So we will be coming to you. Uh, with some instant reaction of that on Sunday night. So for Jason and Ricky, it's been Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We'll talk to you guys later. Take it easy.